Hello, everybody. Juana here from Barcelona today. I'm Sophia from here in Stockholm. And I'm Michael from Melbourne in Australia. Oh my God, we're going all over the place today. <laughs> and I think we're going to go all over the place in the episode. Um, we saw some very interesting article that we will uh, link in the, uh, in the notes afterwards around quality of hire and how to actually measure it holistically and eventually how to use it. So we all have opinions. <laughs> uh, we might have also some experiences in some areas. But it's definitely a topic that keeps coming up, especially in the current context of redundancies, in the current context of did we overhire? Did we hire the right people? How do we plan headcount moving forward, considering the, let's say, pitfalls that we've seen, especially in the tech world, but beyond as well? There is, in general, more caution in the market, whether it's from investors directly, but also from business founders and, and talent leaders. And I think there is a, an ongoing conversation at the moment. What do business leaders need from TA and HR? And this seems to be coming up. So we're going to try to tackle quality of hire in the current context. And how would this look like maybe within a year, three years, five years? Since, since I work in talent acquisition more than a decade, it keeps coming back. And I have not seen a silver bullet for it, but I've seen evolution. Sophia, where, where is your mind around this? Because I, I know you're like, <laughs> I, I've seen a, a bit of everything, but yeah. Well, I think because we, we were talking a little bit before we started recording about who's responsible for the quality of hire. Like you mentioned from the article discussing, does it sit with TA? Does it sit with HR? Does it sit with the hiring managers? Who's responsible? And to me, it's quite an, an easy answer, to be honest, because I think it's with everyone involved in the hiring process and in the hiring decisions. So it isn't just one person or one area within the business that is responsible for this because the quality of hire is so much it's who we hire but it's also how do we onboard them how do we treat them how do we look after them once they start it isn't just about was this the right person it's also were we the right company for this person so i'd say anyone involved in the hiring process is also responsible for the quality of hire when you've worked with your hiring managers and let's say you your teams have hired some some folks in and maybe some doesn't don't really work out, right? Like their performance is doubtful very quickly. Do they come back to you or do they go straight to HR saying, hey, I'm, I'm not seeing the other value here. What do we do about it? Is there a, a feedback loop in general? I mean, if there's been something wrong, you realize that this wasn't the right person, they aren't performing the way as expected. They do come to me. I don't know whether they come to HR as well, because maybe they did, but obviously they won't tell me. But obviously, HR is involved in, in trying to let go of that person or during the probation period, as we had in Sweden. But they do come to me and, and we do talk about, OK, well, what was the hiring process like? What could we have done differently in order to avoid this in the future? And to be honest, the majority of times when you go back and look, OK, this person, what was the process like for this person? We deviated from the process. Uh -huh. We decided to skip a step for some reason. Oh, yeah, they have so much experience. Let's skip the assignment. Oh, no, we have such a good great recommendation from this colleague. Let's skip that part. It's always or like I'm. Um, 98% of the time, and that's just the metric taken from the air, not actual metrics, just to let you know. It's almost always we deviated somehow from the recruitment process. Very insightful. And I, I, I love that we got into that. Michael, any, any first thoughts? Because I think it's going to be a heated one. <laughs> Look, it might well be. So one of the things we have in Australia that I think helps us a little bit with this 
is that anybody who gets a job has to complete a period called probation. I don't know if it's the same thing um, in other markets, but effectively for the first six months, you're on like a one week's notice. So you can give notice or the employer can give notice to you. And it's considered almost like the try before you buy model, right? So you are an employee, but you don't have all the full protections yet. And so one of the easiest mechanisms for quality of hire is, did you make it through probation? (laughs) Because if you're performing well enough in the job, after probation, you are confirmed as a full employee with all of the rights and recognition that you would get otherwise. So it it might be a really simple model, but at least it gives you a check mark to say, has the person worked out to a point where you want to keep them around? Now, I've seen different models. I've done a lot of sales hiring in my time. Sales, obviously, quality of hire. Have you got pipeline? Are you generating leads and opportunities? So I think some roles, it's a little easier to measure quality because there's an output orientation to it. But for mine, I think one of the biggest challenges we face with quality of hire is no one can, can agree what should you be measuring? Like what actually does make a quality hire? Is it culture fit? Is it completing your training on time? Is it being a good values person? Is it, you know, performing to the level of the role of expectation? I think there's just so much ambiguity. And I think that's partly why no one wants to own it. Because if you can't measure it, how, you know, who wants to take ownership of something that is so amorphous, you can't really be certain if it's true. Well, the article makes exactly this point, right? Think, think of supply chain. Is your supply chain healthy? And they're looking like, how can I take the benchmark that I've built during the interview process? But as Sophia was saying, sometimes we deviate from that and we make alterations to it based on halo effect or whatever, right? So that's one data point. Then it goes on to say, okay, have you passed probation period and in what range have you kind of fallen, right? Did you just barely made it? Are you like meeting expectations? Are you already exceeding expectations? So taking that metric and combine it with, let's say, the interview the result, then taking a more subjective one around hiring manager and team scoring, let's say. So are, are they fitting in? Are they creating value? Do I see potential? Do I see maybe already a high score potential for the performance evaluation? And sometimes some organizations have, let's say, every six months performance evaluation. Some have every year. Some don't, <laughs> honestly, right? Or don't necessarily have a good metric there. But it's interesting how if you would take this quantitative data that you have, interview process, past probation period, first performance review, that could end up being a score, a benchmark, at least for that particular organization. But what I keep hearing is that there's no feedback loop, right? Like we in TA rarely hear about how people actually perform in the job. And to your point, Sophia, there, I wanted to ask you, maybe both of you, because and I can also answer myself, but sometimes do you have hiring managers coming back and saying, this person is amazing. It's probably like added so much value since they came into the team that we just should hire more like them. So I think sometimes we don't get just the, hey, this one is not really working out for us at this point. It's them, it's us, it doesn't really matter. But this feedback loop seems very subjective and ad hoc, right? Like there's a hiring manager that we're closer to and then they come, but we don't get a a set of information around, hey, the 300 people we hired this year, this is the bell curve, right? Like, I don't know, maybe you are, but I would be keen to understand if you do, how can we use that actually? I think it's what, like you're saying, it's more of, of the case you'll hear it when 
either, like you said, oh, they're amazing, we want more people like this one, or when it really, really didn't work out. Those in between, we won't know anything about. But thinking of the metrics, I think one thing that you didn't say, and I think that we all talk about with the quality of hire that I think we also need to look at is obviously, are we meeting the expectations of the candidate, the person that started, uh, is the role that we sold them, you know, living up to their expectation? Is the company living up to their expectation? Is the job what they expected? I think that's also a key part because are we overselling? You know, are they, are we saying they're simply underperforming or is it just it wasn't what they expected? You know, so it's, I think we have to remember that it's not just us looking at kind of how do they fit into what we're looking for but we also have to remember are we what they expected uh, there is a metric there that i i started seeing where the retention is differentiated between voluntary and involuntary so the people who leave us <laughs> as employers uh trying to understand why and i've been fascinated with this idea of uh stay interviews so instead of an exit interview when people are kind of already half the door and they have they have another offer and they you know they're considering it how can we actually get data of what would make people stay and as to your point of view like what's our scoring like how do people evaluate the opportunity and the employment and the potential right to stay long term and add value consistently there that technically yeah should come in the same bucket of quality of hire quality of performance quality of match maybe um, right a bit because it is a relationship at the end of the day yeah if we feel they're underperforming or aren't a match maybe they feel the same you know we could have sold them the wrong position it wasn't what they expected and maybe that's why they're not doing their job good enough so to speak so it might not just be that they're not capable it could have been you know we we explained the position wrong to them we we didn't you know their expectations were different but to be honest, I think that comes later in my experience. Because obviously, when I've been involved in hiring people, they have a relationship with me. So maybe a year or two into the position, when they start considering um, moving, they will come to me because I was the one who hired them. They have a relationship with me. I'm their friend. So they'll kind of speak with me before they speak to the manager about the fact that they aren't happy in the position because they also want to speak to a recruiter to get some advice. So to me, that's more often not like the first six months, they're normally, you know, the probation period because we have the same in Sweden. It doesn't happen there. It happens a year later, like, oh, it didn't progress the way I was thinking it was going to be. I think that kind of having been told there are opportunities and then those opportunities a year or two later don't turn up. That's more when you hear the the, um, the discrepancy from from the person being hired point of view. I think that comes later. Yeah, it's an interesting concept to think about, like, when do you measure quality of hire if you are going to measure it? Because a super technical role that requires a lot of training and a lot of absorption into a new model, you might not actually see productive output for nine, 12 months. Whereas, you know, an entry level support role, you could probably see output and performance after six to eight weeks. So one of the challenges I think I see with all of this is how do we make whatever measurement we're going to use consistent? Because I have a strong bias towards something that is systematic and applied to everybody equally. And I think when you're dealing with people, because people as a metric, <laughs> um, as we all know, it's a very difficult thing to really measure accurately. And I think, Sophia, the point you raised about people's own engagement, we can't control their engagement. Like We can provide the tools and the systems and the experience, but we're not inside their head knowing how they learn, how they feel. 
I mean, something as simple as you get two people in a room with different communication styles. One person thinks they've explained it clearly. The other person is sitting there going, I didn't get any of that. And you suddenly have a potential disconnect in quality of hire um, through just the simple, I don't know what you're talking about, right? And it's not that either person in that instance is doing the wrong thing. They're using their own mechanism. And I just, I really fear anytime we try and turn something as complicated as people, inside different environments and different roles and different teams into a metric, you really run the risk of ending up with badly skewed, badly calculated data that doesn't actually give you what you're trying to get from it. And that's me putting my curmudgeon hat on, but I just, I I really worry about something so complex trying to be distilled into an algorithm. Yeah. And, And I think that's the same with measuring anything, to be honest data, you have to understand what's behind it. You have to understand what it's measuring and what it isn't measuring to kind of get it. It isn't just, okay, 100's good, zero's bad. It's okay, why is it 100? Why is it this? Understanding the why behind the data and understanding it, like you say, and not just going, oh, but the data says this, and simply looking at the numbers. And, And that's especially dangerous when it comes to people, like you say. The primer of the article actually is quality of hire seems like a a boogeyman type of topic because everybody acknowledges it's complex and everybody acknowledges that once even, let's say most people or most parts of the organization, once we have this, what do we do with it, right? So let's say a head of talent puts in all the dashboards, we have, you know, conversions, we have, uh, where do people fall? We have have the levels of people that we hire, we have their pay scale, all these type of metrics that we do when we represent somehow talent and we tell the business, this is the achievement. Everybody agrees on numbers of hires, conversions. We've already agreed on a couple of metrics. What do they tell us? How do we interpret them? How do we use them to shape the interviewing process, the strategies for growing talent and so on, right? But we have not agreed on how quality of hire would help us. Um, Would that define that persona that we're trying to make? But then we fall into the danger of excluding a lot of people very quickly because we found the matrix, right? We found that, (laughs) that mold where everybody should fit in and tick those boxes, right, throughout this employee journey or even candidate journey, right? They need to reach this step. But you said a bit earlier around, I think, Michael, you said around creating a certain level of expectation towards candidates, like candidates create a level of expectation. Like, how would I perform as your employee, right? Like this is the, the discussion we're having during an interview process. I can bring skills, I can bring certain behaviors, I can bring certain background knowledge, experience, and so on. And to your point, Sophia, we also create expectations around like, what would you get in return for that? And maybe that's the point around like 12 months later, we have the engagement surveys in general in organizations. How do you feel about your manager, your work, your workload, your organization? We have those but we don't refer back to the moment where everything started. How is this now comparing to 12 months ago when you joined us? Is that engagement growing or dropping? Because there is this key moment of setting expectations right at the beginning. But I think then like 12 months down the line, if you're going back to the recruitment process, it's not. I'm not sure that it's the recruitment process might be the reason why the engagement's low. Maybe let's say, 
they swapped out the manager switch so they don't get on with the new manager. It could be other reasons why things have changed 12 months later that actually has nothing to do with the recruitment process as such. And as you know, we've all been working for different companies and different managers and everything like that. We know that in certain companies, we've performed better than in others because we've had the right kind of setting for it. Like you you were saying, Michael, we're people, you know, we might be in a, a different communication styles with somebody and then we work really well with the next person. So I think there's so much more to it that once it's gone past a certain amount of time and it's nowhere, like you're saying, with performance, sometimes, you know, after six weeks, sometimes after six months. So it's kind of hard to say that what, how long, how much later is it no longer to do with the recruitment process? It's it's like how long is a piece of string kind of situation. I always was like, do not even come to me with this because it is not my, like my job somehow within my teams for a very long time. I was like, it's to provide to the person that you asked, right? Like you created a job profile and then some expectations for a job. We kind of brought that person from that point onwards when they join, when they are in seat, is the journey actually starts for productivity and fit and all this. But I would, I do acknowledge more and more the advantage of knowing how people actually do in role to be able to advise my business to around like, this was a good idea. This was not a good idea. This was a good talent pool. This was not a good talent pool. Like more macro understanding somehow the trends of what type of skill is needed because sometimes the business doesn't know <laughs> from the get-go, right? Like, oh, I need some data analysts. Well, actually, maybe you need some data engineers. Let's reconsider everything we're doing because things have changed, right? Yeah, I think the, the, even the article that we're referring to it really starts around, let's say, first metric, ramp to productivity, to what you were saying, Michael, like how fast do people get comfortable? And that's very dependent on job profile indeed. So to what you uh, were saying, Anna, like how when the hiring man is saying, I want this kind of profile and you help with that, I think one of the things knowing what have worked well and what hasn't worked well, is a good thing. For example, when I was at uh, Tokoboka and we were going to, because I was a, a consultant, we were looking for a uh, recruiter to kind of replace me for me too, because I didn't want to be an employee. And they're like, oh, we need somebody with experience in the gaming industry. And I'm like, okay, have you, do you feel I've performed badly? They're like, no, I'm okay. I had no experience from the gaming industry when I started. So why is that needed? So kind of when you know somebody's done well and when they go, we need somebody with this and this. Okay, but what about person A? They didn't have that when they started. Have they done that badly? And people are like, no. So I think that's, that's another reason for knowing what's worked and what hasn't worked so that when it comes back to hiring again, you can mention, okay, but this person didn't have that actually. So more of being able to remove some of the requirements rather than saying which requirements are needed, kind of going, hey, but we have people with, who don't have that and they worked. So I wonder if the first problem we need to solve with quality of hire is who actually is going to be responsible for it. Because until someone owns it, it's never actually going to be completely taken as a serious activity, right? And it might be owned by committee. Like I'm not saying one person needs to own it. It might well be a combination of TA and HR and hiring manager and members of the team. Like I'm, I'm not, again, I'm not saying I have the answer. I realize on this podcast, we're supposed to come to people with answers. I think today we're, <laughs> we're failing that miserably, but just coming with more and more questions. But I think we, we have all the answers. Yes, we have so many answers and you can choose any one of the 20 that we've put forward so far. <laughs> but I think that might be the first point. If we can define who is responsible for it, then as an individual or a collective, you can then at least start to test and iterate what a model might look like. 
So if I was going to do this, and I'm actually thinking about this for my own organization at the moment, right? So I work for a startup. So quality of hire is incredibly important. If we get a hire, you know, I'm using air quotation marks here, wrong. And by what mechanism do we call wrong? It costs us significant time and money and potential growth. So we really want to have people achieve the expectations of the role. So I'm trying to work out who is going to be responsible. And once you know who's responsible, you can build a framework and then you can test that framework, but you need time to do that. And I think, so that's the second thing. First, who owns it? Second, what are we going to measure? And third, over what time frame? And at least then you can start to get some comparative data. It might not tell you everything. In fact, it won't tell you everything, but it might tell you just enough to get something that you can draw indications from. Because I look at this, I'm going to go slightly off topic here, but I think about this and analytics in sport, right? For so long, so much about sport was really difficult to work out. You know, like you just knew who was the best player, who wasn't. And there's been capacity now for analytics to look at output because sport is a very output oriented thing. And there's a concept in the sport of baseball called VORP or value over replacement player, where effectively the analytics have distilled everybody's performance down to a baseline. If you were the average person, you would perform at this level. And so anyone else is being compared against that average level. So if you're above the value over replacement player, you're considered a net positive. If you're below what a replacement player would be, you're considered a net negative. Maybe it's something that simple to begin with. We just set a simple baseline that says, all right, at the end of, let's say it's six months for probation, at the end of six months, you should be able to articulate your job, perform the key tasks and function without requiring direct supervision every day. And I mean, you know, that's a very simple model, but that might just be something that at least gives you a starting point because then each month you would be assessing on where someone's at. Again, I'm not saying that's the answer, but it might be an answer to get started because I feel as we talk about this, it's such a big thing that if we keep it really big, no one's ever going to do it. Um, If we make it too small, no one's ever going to make it important enough. So finding somewhere in the middle might be an option that we could look at. I really like simplifying this topic. I think it makes total sense. And from at least the criteria you put in this baseline, my view is that the hiring manager is the closest somehow and probably the responsible, but that needs to be defined to your point. I'm more on the, let's say, cross crossover responsibility because I would love to see maybe two more things there um, to Sophia's point around like the new employee's assessment to that job fit. Like, how do I feel about it if I'm in there and adding that metric and eventually tenure and is there any value that I can add to that productivity? So let's say productivity, but also like type of productivity, if that makes sense. Like, am I creating value for the team? Am I creating value for the product? Am I creating value for the customers? Like, how is that panning out? Because now we see a bit in the layoffs, there were some very clear categories, like this is no added value anymore. So very quickly, business strategy, business priority change, and that value that a person or a job profile added for a very long time was not relevant anymore. So I think these are some maybe two things that I would add to maybe wrap it up, Sophia, any particular thoughts? Like if you, if somebody gave you, Hey, this is it. This is how we measure quality of hire. These are the metrics we've defined it. We'd have agreed. How would you use it in TA? I would use it to kind of assess that we are, that our process is working, that we are assessing the right things. Like we, we spoke a bit before the recording, like how do I deal with the, with 
the data or the measurements. It depends on what they say. If people continuously leave, we're going to look at why are they leaving? Is because we recruited the wrong person? Is because we're a shitty company nobody wants to work for? So depending on the outcome, depends on how you deal with it. But from my perspective, I would try and then see what is it that we're doing? Are we doing the right things? Because everyone's lovely when they start or are we doing the wrong things because things aren't working? So depending on what those measurements tell me, then that would dictate what I would do with it. And on that note, we had a lot of questions, a lot of answers. Pick whatever works for you and let's continue this conversation. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you so much, Sophia. And I'll see you and hear you all next time.